This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. So David Bowie is a bricoleur, a magpie and a thief. He said himself, stealing is my job. What I, what I do is I know which things to steal. So today I'm gonna to be looking at the character uh, of Ziggy Stardust because I guess like Robin, a lot of my um, references are fashion and a lot of the things that I look at um, are contemporary fashion and he is so much a part of, uh, I guess, you know, the world that we belong to uh, in a greater sense uh, in terms of popular culture. Sorry, I'm just gonna move this down. Um, but also particularly in the realm of fashion. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to know where he came from and what were the things that he was drawing on in order to create the image that he created. So I guess the most, um, sorry, right way, the most iconic or the beginning uh, of the journey of Ziggy Stardust really is the hairstyle. There are various references to where this came about. There's one reference that talks about um, the fact that it's a combination of three haircuts. Um, but there's another reference from Bowie himself, uh, which talks about this idea of stealing. And it's stealing it from a Japanese designer called Kansai Yamamoto. Now, later on, um, Bowie will start to work with Kansai Yamamoto. But in 1971, Kansai Yamamoto releases a collection uh, in London uh, that Bowie sees. And he talks about seeing the cover of a magazine called Honey or something like that, uh, where there is a model uh, wearing Kanzai Yamamoto and this red mullet. And it's in January 1972 that he decides that this is going to be the hairstyle uh, of his persona and alien um, or Martian, uh, Ziggy Stardust. So he gets his friend, uh, you probably all know her name already, uh, that's it, Susie Fussy, thank you, um, to, you know, to cut the hairstyle for him. But the, I guess the reason that I find that interesting is, is that, I guess particularly in the context of this um, uh, symposium and the presentations that we've seen so far, uh, and particularly that, uh, that idea of collaborating but also giving back, um, you have him wanting to work with Kanzai Yamamoto in 1971, but he outright says that he couldn't afford the clothes, so he stole the haircut. Um, later on, um, starting to actually develop that relationship with Kanzai Yamamoto. Um, the other, and I'll get to the image in a second, um, the other sort of quite funny reference is the reference to the shoes, uh, and, and I'll bring that up in a second. Apologies if you, if, you, if you know these references already and if um, I am telling you things that, that you might already know, but um, I, I, haven't, I haven't been a hardcore um, Bowie fan, so this really has been a journey of discovery and uh, a very rich journey um, because of that, because as I said, um, we're also influenced by him even if we don't know that we are. So here he is in, in, in all his um, beautiful glory. And, you know, this is the beginning of a character that he uh, creates. 
And again, the reason that I thought it was really important to be dissecting this particular character is because, again, he says that Ziggy Stardust set the pattern for my future work. Ziggy was my Martian messiah who twanged a guitar. You know, what was the potency about? Why, why was it such a strong um, character in 1972? Um, I guess the other uh, quote that I absolutely loved uh, is something that, again, Bowie says himself, which is, the Bowie cut became to hairdressing in the early 70s what, lady what the Lady Di cut was in the early 80s, only with double the appeal because it worked for both sexes. And I don't think you can, you can, you can think of two more contrasting characters, um, except perhaps Elizabeth I and, and Ziggy Stardust. But um, Lady Di and, and David Bowie you, one wouldn't imagine they would have too much in common. Um, but the idea of, of double the appeal um, also addresses that idea of androgyny uh, that does become so much a part of him. The jumpsuit um, is important for that, and I'll move on to that in a second. Um, but I also wanted to refer to um, the potency of the images, not only because of the way that he presents himself, not only because of the haircut, um, but also because of the stance. And again, um, as I was reading and discovering his life, one of the things that I couldn't help um, thinking back to was his training in mime. And that idea of a silent visual communication that he is consistently drawing on, both in his performances, but also in his imagery. I guess by now we know that he also had a background in advertising, uh, so he was aware of the potency uh, of images and the idea of brand, uh, but also the abbreviation uh, of uh, a, 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 a condensation of ideas um, into a particularly potent image uh, that could become something like uh, you know, one of these images, and, and, and I guess particularly the one in the striped suit, because of the strength of those lines, because of the coordination of the proportions, because of the shape and the form, that I can only imagine he's drawing um, out of his experience in mind. Because, of course, it's not relying on the music, it's not relying on the song, but it's relying on a silent um, communication. And, of course, that's so much what, what um, fashion is about as well. We've heard the quote about um, the expression, his fashion expressing the music, um, but it also feeds into this three-dimensional experience uh, of, of his performances so that the visual does uh, embrace and, and become part of that. So where, where are his costumes coming from? So his early um, collaborator is um, Veretti um, and he, from what I understand and the way that it appears, he, he, he's more the maker of um, David Bowie's images rather than uh, an initiator as such, um, because a lot of the ideas are coming from Kanzai Yamamoto. And we see the white boots there, which apparently were 25 pounds, um, you know, in the department store, but David Bowie got ripped off, uh, ripped off um, for eight pounds into the, into the red ones. Um, and, and it's this early sort of development and bringing together um, of various sources. 
So of his early Ziggy Stardust costumes, he talks about them as a cross between Nijinsky and Woolworths, something cobbled together from whatever was lying around. And I think the use um, or the relationship with Beretti in the early days is, is, is particularly about that, that. It's this sort of bringing together of elements and, and asking him to make um, and guiding him in the costumes that he is making. Um, because of course, well, Bowie's not making the costumes himself, but he's guiding. Um, and there's sort of a team behind them all um, joining in. And the other reason why uh, Kanto Yamamoto is interesting is because him and Bowie are both drawing on the same references. Um, so this is a, just a, a, an image of Kabuki, um, which is a theatre, a Japanese theatre performance. You see, you know, the masks, the makeup, uh, and it's also a performative uh, style um, where men are actually playing female roles. So there's, there's artifice uh, is completely embedded in it. These are images of Kanzo Yamamoto's collections from 1971. So these are the sorts of things that Bowie would have been seeing um, and would have had uh, and was referencing um, in, in his costumes. And what they're doing is they're playing on, I guess, the cliches of Japanese culture and they're exploding them and bursting them out into a fashion scene. And this is very different to the sorts of um, things, I guess, we've been conditioned to believing are Japanese fashion, because there was an exhibition that recently toured, um, put on by the Barbican, which really it called Future Beauty, um, looking at Japanese fashion, but it's so typical that in, uh, I guess, dialogues around Japanese fashion that, that the beginning point uh, is often marked as 1981 um, with the designs of Yoji Yamamoto, um, Reikal Kubo of Comedy Garçon, uh, and Issey Miyake, who is, of course, working in the 70s as well, but tends to be part of this, this trio. And this trio tends to, to draw on uh, ideas of wabi-sabi, sort of quiet, reflective, poetic qualities, um, rather than this, this Japanese fashion which is occurring in the, in the 70s um, via Kanzai Yamamoto, which is a lot bolder um, bigger gestures, bigger silhouettes, and drawing on uh, more recognisable forms uh, of what the West understood, I guess, to be Japanese fashion. So Kanzai, Yamamoto and David Bowie are sort of working separately, um, but they're drawing on the same references so that when they do eventually meet, um, Kanzai Yamamoto talks about them being uh, like a meeting between father and son, um, even though they're coming from different re references from East and West, um, there is, they are united uh, in, in their thinking, which is why the collaboration works so well uh, when Kanzo Yamamoto then uh, creates costumes specifically for him in 1973. Uh, so this is another image of um, Kanzo Yamamoto's work from 1971. Uh, and then we have the first piece uh, of uh, Yamamoto's that David Bowie buys in 1972. So this, this begins their, their meeting. I'll just skip this because this was, uh, again, thinking about the idea, that idea of poise, um, but also thinking back to the idea of the jumpsuit. And I guess for me, I was wondering why the potency uh, of the jumpsuit, and particularly in the Ziggy Stardust period, it's a repeated uh, motif. 
where does it come from um, and why does he choose it? And I think, particularly looking at this image, uh, it allows him uh, to create these exaggerated postures. So we know he's learnt mime, we know that he's training in using his body uh, in powerful ways, and by becoming a second skin, or presenting itself as a second skin, the jumpsuit allows that uh, for the, the body to come forward uh, and create these sort of interesting shapes and these interesting forms and proportions, I guess particularly with the um, shoulder pads that are part of this ensemble. Uh, Another one of his references is Clockwork Orange, uh, which has come out at this stage in order to re represent the dystopia of the early 1970s. Um, but what he wants to do is he wants to make it more joyful, um, more vibrant, more lighthearted. Uh, and what he does is he uses uh, much uh, brighter fabrics. But then that's also part of what's happening in London at the time because they're coming out of the 60s, uh, the hippie movement, there's a lot of vintage that's becoming, um, fashion, or that has become fashionable through the 60s. Uh, multicultural references, so drawing on Indian imports and fabrics that are all part of, I guess, the visual culture of London at the time. Uh, and these become part of the jumpsuits. But then at the same time, Ziggy Stardust is a character who is appearing uh, because I guess in some ways, you know, the 60s was promising this uh, arrival of, you know, other lives, um, you know, alien presence, and, and Ziggy Stardust um, uh, creates it and, and presents it, which is one of the reasons perhaps why he's so well received. But of course in the 1960s, that jumpsuit also becomes part of the, um, you know, the space uniform, the NASA, the astronaut. So it's very much part of that, I guess, outer space um, reference as well. But of course, using it as a second skin has those overtones of um, eroticism, that, that skin-type body uh, that is completely exposed. But at the same time, a sense of androgyny because it's one of the few forms in fashion uh, that actually celebrates or identifies the similarities between male and female bodies as opposed to the differences. Uh, so what he does... Um, with the jumpsuits or with the, the outfits in this particular phase. Um, he's attracted to Clockwork Orange, I guess because of its, its potency, particularly at this time, but he also wanted his band members, um, the Spiders from Mars, uh, to appear united like a gang as well. And again, I'm sure you probably know that it took him a little while to convince his um, band members to adopt these outfits but apparently once they found out how much the girls liked them, they were on board. I think one of the great things about this image too is, is that even though it's in black and white, so even though you don't have the vibrancy of the mm -hmm. red um, David Bowie mullet, he still has this sort of extra presence um, next to Mick Ronston because of the way that he is moving his body. The way that his kind of shoulders are moved, the way that his legs are positioned, he's still managing, um, I guess, to take over the floor in that scenario. So even though, you know, the colour's gone and even though they are wearing very similar ensembles, uh, it becomes 
just another point about how clever he is at creating his own image and how all those elements like the shape of the hairstyle and that suit as a sort of coloured second skin uh, create that, all, all, those, all those pieces come together to create that form um, of Ziggy Stardust, which then becomes so powerful and potent uh, as, a, as a reference over and over. Uh, and then we just get to look at some other cool images that I quite liked. Um, and then just looking at the makeup um, as part of sort of a unified whole. So what I found interesting is, is that um, Ziggy Stard uh, David Bowie is actually doing his own makeup um, for, for Ziggy Stardust um, a lot of the time. So by the end of his reign, Bowie needed to allow himself about two hours before each performance to apply his stage makeup. In Japan in April 1973, he'd even learnt kabuki-style makeup techniques from one of the stars of the Japanese theatre. So he's completely embracing these these art forms and these 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 references. You know, not only I guess in 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 one way, um, the way that he uses body, um, the Japanese references with Kanzo Yamamoto, etc., um, but taking these references um, to the extreme. And then, of course, there's the um, signature lightning bolt of Aladdin Sane, which, again, I think draws on his understanding of the potency um, of a single image and a single form, because it is that form um, of the lightning bolt which becomes so powerful and recognisable as David Bowie, as it is the form and the overall silhouette um, of his body and the construction of his hairstyle uh, and the way that he uses his clothing and his posture, um, particularly in his, his sort of graphic presentations on his um, album covers. And of course, that's not just um, particular to, to, to Ziggy Stardust. He continues to do that throughout his career. So these, I'm just going to end with um, a couple of images that uh, just sort of show the kind of, I guess, lightness and the fun, um, I think, of his relationship, particularly with Kanzo Yamamoto, because there are a whole lot of... This was a performance that Kanzo Yamamoto presented at um, the v as part of their Fashion in Motion series. Uh, and then the way that they're dressed the same, almost, um, sort of reflects that like-mindedness um, between the two at this particular at this particular time. And while David Bowie's taking on the, the outfits of um, Kanzai Yamamoto, which are actually from his women's wear collections, um, Kanzai Yamamoto is then also uh, influenced by David Bowie in the way that he starts to uh, create and present his fashion parades. Um, and then we, we've seen this. Um, and then these great sort of backstage images uh, and then, of course, the colour version of an, an outfit that was so hot and impractical on stage uh, because of its size and its materiality. Um, but it just shows David Bowie's extreme commitment to fashion. Um, and then, of course, much more obvious, or I guess they're all obvious um, sort of Japanese references, um, but the cape which actually has words that, when pronounced, uh, make out the sounds of the words David Bowie. So there is, again, um, an extra level of, of relationship there. So that is 
a little bit um, about David Bowie's um, Ziggy Stardust. I guess one of the other things that occurred to me uh, in thinking about this exhibition is the sort of timing of an exhibition like this um, and its relationship to someone like David Bowie. Because of course in the 70s there's this sort of potency of the Ziggy Stardust tour, which is 1972 to 1973, so a relatively short time. Uh, and in some ways this exhibition also becomes an extension of that performance because it is in some ways like a tour, um, in a lot of ways that exhibitions are now, um, touring around the world, millions of people collectively seeing them together and that potency and influence that they're having. So maybe the fashion exhibition is the new rock concert. Thank you. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the ACME website.